tell you about the time uh, you ate ass. Well, no, no, no. The time when I went to the hospital when I was when I had like internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You have not told me about this, and you're scaring me now, and I'm glad it's all over. Well, here we go. The story is uh, last year, aka this year, because it was uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, mm. Mm. It, it's 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 during a time when I had just non-stop insomnia, and at this point, I think I had four or five days where I couldn't sleep at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, I started getting some weird flu thing happening. My throat was all fucked up and all this shit. And so I went to my parents' house to hang out. And so that I just didn't have to worry about anything. And I can somehow revert back to this childlike, oh, everything's fine. So I decided to try and like sleep over there for a second. And uh, around four o'clock in the morning on roughly my sixth day of no sleep, uh, I started vomiting like crazy, like, like super... Uh, nauseous out of nowhere just this overwhelming feeling of nausea that that led me to vomiting which led me to kind of taste in my mouth what i thought was blood so i saved a little bit of the vomit and inspected it further and it was blood so around four o'clock in the morning i wake up my dad and say hey i uh gotta go to the hospital and that's kind of surprising i'm guessing that you know if your son comes to you like that but especially your 31 year old son but i yeah uh, i uh, i was like dad i gotta I think we gotta go to the hospital. I'm uh, I'm throwing up blood, and so he's like, okay. So we we go, and uh, while I'm there, long story short, you know they're checking things out, and they they realize that uh, okay, well, let's check the front and let's check the back. And so the doctor says, gotta check back here if, it, if blood's coming from here too. And I go, all right. Puts on a glove, takes his big old doc finger, shoves up my butt, and uh, you know what? I said, hey, I get it now. <laughs> I think I recall this story, yeah. And uh, and right then and there, I was like, dang, man, did I mess up not experimenting sooner. And uh, it felt pretty cool. That's awesome. That's Welcome that's to Inside Jerks here. <laughs> <laughs> Where we get inside us. We get inside our mind and body to... Bring forth what you might consider a waste of time. How's it going, James? Um, I'm I'm doing great. Um, what a what a way to begin the show. Um, we have a we have a kind of special show, something different than what we normally do. This is true. Uh, we're realizing uh, six episodes into this podcast that <laughs> our listeners might not know who the hell we are. So we this wanted is... to take some time to um for you guys to get to know us a little bit better you know i'm sure you guys have all figured out um who we are just in terms of what we've talked about and how we act and how strange things might be or how boring things might be or how uh mundane and pedestrian we may seem but guess what guys we there's so much more underneath this thick skin of ours and and we're pretty cool too Mm. and nice and smart James, you are so smart. You are so nice. That's all. I all I can oh, do cool. is agree. Oh, cool! Yes, also... all I can do is agree and uh, <laughs> bring it bring it right back your way. <laughs> yes, and I was thinking that yeah, we should we should. Uh... We should take a step backwards real quick on yes, the sixth episode, which is this hard to strange to hear. I guess it's not that strange, but it's just, it's weird to think about. It's time has whizzed by. 
Yeah, yeah, we've been, uh, it already seems like, uh, you know, we've been doing this, uh, this a while, so <laughs> what a late time to be doing this episode. Well, or, or early, you know, I, I, I'd yeah. say it's never, it's never too early to, it's, <laughs> I'd say it's never, it's never too early to explain yourself, you know? Uh, yeah, and I guess, I guess it's never too late either. There you go. It's never, hey, you know, it's, al- I, it's always the right time to explain yourself. How about that? Covers. It's covers always the right places. time at nighttime when you have to explain yourself. What? So how, how, how do you even want to go about this? Because you know what? We're, we're going to, we're going to kind of break the format a little bit and just kind of maybe shoot some questions back and forth and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I think this is beneficial to both of us as well, because for as long as we've known each other, we might not know completely what we're about. Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, I've got one, because, um, you know, you do uh, art and I do music. So, um, yeah, I've got one that can kind of introduce us as far as that goes. Um, what speaking made of, you... uh, of introductions, I, I don't think yeah. we introduced ourselves. I I am uh, sitting right here through the interwebs, talking to my main man James Gans, and uh, I am sitting on the other side of the interwebs, talking to my friend Taylor Dubose, and we are inside jerks. So, to start that off, what question have you got, Bud? So, uh, my first question here is, uh, what, uh, what made you decide to be a, um, creative person? I know you do, um, visual art and I'm into music, but, uh, you know, how did you, how did you start doing that? Uh, you know, this is a, this is an interesting question and one that I've actually tried to figure out an answer for, but I think it's rather abstract or, or just kind of, I, I can't find a, a solid answer as much as. You know, the cliche, well, as far as I can remember, you know, I was always drawn and doodling and stuff like that. And uh, it gets to a certain point when through evolution, creativity, creatively rather, uh, you know, you're jumping through different hoops and trying new things and stuff. And once uh, the computer came around and once I started learning Photoshop around age 11, uh, which was started because I wanted to figure out how I can make pictures of me holding a toy lightsaber make it look like it was me holding a real lightsaber. And uh, with that came Photoshop. And with that came understanding of, oh, this can be applied towards jobs of like creating album covers and stuff. Or for me, it was, you know, I I always wanted to to see uh, different DVD covers for movies that I love so much because I I felt as if so many movies deserve so much better than their stock uh dvd covers so i started creating those and through that came understanding more of graph design and through that came more of just the history of art and it just started you know almost uh just blooming and 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 exploding to this extent of like i i couldn't help myself and i had to just i had to do it uh not only that but i don't think i can really do anything else i don't really have a skill as much as i've played music and stuff i'm not a musician but uh you know, I've I've been doing something visual art wise, I guess, since I was, you know, nay a baby. Well, it's um, it's interesting uh, that you talk Nair about a baby. The <laughs> both. Um, 
But it's interesting that you mentioned that because it sounds like you were um, self-taught as I was with uh, music. But yeah, I would say starting off um, with probably you around with music, the... with with you with music. Like, how did you? How did you start off, James? Well, what, I was what? gonna go even further back from music and kind of you know oh, meet please. you where you were starting off. Um, yeah, when I was like seven or eight, I would borrow my dad's video camera and make um, really badly done um, either it was either like very crude stop motion because this was a um, like a VHSC camcorder, so it's not mm -hmm. made to shoot frame by frame. Um, but like filming Legos along with like fish line and I, um, yeah, I definitely, I didn't have the, uh, the actual kits and everything. So I would just build something that kind of looked like an X-wing mm -hmm. and then I would fly that around with fishing line, um, to make it look like around my living room or bedroom. So it's not like it's in space at all oh, for <laughs> and sure. make these real dumb videos where I was just, uh, you know, speaking into the camera mic to do all the voices of uh, whoever was appearing on that. And then I got, um, I think it was like my ninth birthday. My dad got me Pinnacle Studio, which is essentially... Oh, hell yeah. Oh my like, god, I haven't even thought about that in... in wow, okay, keep going. It was like, Sorry. yeah, bef <laughs> before iMovie was a thing, yeah. there was Pinnacle Studio for PC. And uh, it was very... Um, yeah, very bare bones, similar to um, iMovie, but then with the update, there was chroma keying, uh, and it came with uh -huh. a green screen, so oh, I definitely... Oh, see, I never um, got that far. Yeah, I used that for a little while, um, but then, yeah, I think, you know, birthday or Christmas, age 10, I got a guitar and started playing, like, songs that I... Um, that I enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. The first song I ever learned how to play was My Own Summer by the Deftones. Um, okay. Or I guess they're just Deftones. Um, but then, yeah, I got into like Rage Against the Machine and a bunch of other stuff like that. What's um, the first album that you got? The Well, I don't know the first full-length album, but the first physical CD I bought was yeah. um, a maxi single of Beck's Loser when I was like <laughs> seven years old. Um, That's great. Uh, but yeah, I got into a lot of music that made, there were like, the guitar didn't sound conventional. That would be like, yeah, like Rage Against the Machine, Pantera and things like that. And then I just started getting on just like kind of pedal crazy at that point. And then by the time I was like 14 or 15, I was you know, making a lot of noise without really, um, just like making stuff that I was feeling something from that wouldn't necessarily be constituted as music. Probably when yeah. I was about 15 or so, maybe 16, I got my first looping pedal and then I was able to loop over myself and I played in a few trios. Um, and then I was like, I got into like full on like prog and metal by the time I was around like 17, 18, and that was probably the, the peak of my guitar skill when I could just, you know, rip wow. crazy like uh, Pantera solos and play through like, you know, eight minute <laughs> Dream Theater songs. But I don't really do that anymore. Um, I've kind of gone most of my it's guitar not playing. fair to the world that you're not playing Deep Purple all the time. Right. Um, yeah, I kind of just uh, took a step back 
and got into um yeah just more post-punk and um uh stoner metal and that's usually yeah. usually when i pick up a guitar that's what i'm playing unless i'm just kind of strumming around a song i want to learn how to sing um but yeah i guess it came from not finding people that i could um that I could jam with regularly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, someone was always busy. So I was like, okay, how do I do this by myself? And then I got into the, the electronic thing and I could just do all the production on my own. And then that, now, did you have a band? Like, like you're talking about jamming with people. Did, did I miss something? Did you, did you have a band? Um, like, I at had least, like for a day or something. I had a two piece band and we played a couple of shows and it was basically, I would, I would loop some very fast, like, um, like kind of staccato picked chords and then solo mm-hmm. over it with a bunch of weird effects, That's um, good. going through like weird movements. Um, and then there was a drummer who was, he was like insanely loud and like at the time, I mean, he's, he's definitely a lot better now, but at the time he wasn't very dynamic. So we were mm-hmm. just blasting each other with noise <laughs> and, you know, there were a few times we'd jam in my garage and where, you know, an entire album would come out of it. And then it's like, wait, why aren't we recording this? You know, it might not be recreated, but it's definitely something we could throw up on Bandcamp. So then... Do you have anything recorded? Yes. There's lots of lots of things on Bandcamp. Um, and from, what from are you called? Era. Oh, man. Um, well, okay. So this was like... Um, so this was like 2011, 2012, and we were called Gandhi's Diaper. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think, uh, oh, I think a few people would get upset. 2012? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Maybe even earlier than that. Maybe like 2010. Um, I'd have to Goodness. see. Um, but then we also had... Nope, basically. Oh, you're looking it up now? <laughs> Book of the Dead by Gandhi's Diaper? Why, yes. That's, that's it. And the, um, that, that cover art is uh, the ceiling of the Great American Music Hall at a Russian Circle like. show. Um, i uh, But uh, that was probably my third time seeing Russian Circles at the time, too. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it was like three of us. Um, two of us in Gandhi's Diaper, and then... Um, there were three of us and we formed uh, King Bensley and mm-hmm. that was just a very Perfect. noisy band. And one day we took some acid and recorded like three and a half hours of music. And that is the, um, that is the King Bensley collection. It's very, um, it's very abstract, very noisy. I find it very hard to listen to, but some people have told me that they kind of dig it. Um, I don't know how because I can't I can't even listen to it and I was in the band (laughs) Mm. so um, and then the other one which we have a lot of music from that started off as like it's like improvised synthesizers uh, that's uh, a maze on the Amazon and that is also on Bandcamp and we have um, four albums and two or three EPs I think Um, but it's quite a collection of music. Yeah, and that was all, I mean, that was all seven years ago at this point. So, sure. Um, yeah, it's weird to think that I haven't, 
really released anything since then, but I'm also just, I just like playing live shows at this point, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, house parties and that kind of thing. So I don't really feel, I don't feel the need to release any music online. It's not like I'm trying to, you know, it's make money. not the goal necessarily. Yeah, I'm not really trying to make money off of it unless it's, you know, I'll get, you know, get paid for a gig, but I'm not gonna, you know, seek to, um, you know, sell music downloads um i just kind of do this stuff for fun at this point absolutely well i most of the time when i'm doing art it's just for fun because i, I i've yet to get paid the big bucks but uh you know things are working out soon they, things are things are working out very well actually on this end but uh yeah it's it's good to put out art out there whether it be Download it or not, I say. I mean, part of the biggest thing about music is the experience itself, especially live. Yeah, and um, I don't know you've made plenty of uh, like show flyers for me, and I would say my equivalent to that would be uh, podcast theme songs. So, uh. um, so yeah, if you're a Dune Boys listener, I did that one. I also do the theme song to our show here, as well as all the. Um, I handle the, the production side of things on this podcast as well. Yes, you do. For if it were not for you, I would not be able to talk to you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to, uh, thanks to Craig and discord for, uh, taking care of that end as well. You know, but we don't, okay, we don't need I, to talk about Craig. No, I, I, I thought we talked about this earlier that I don't want to, I don't want to mention him anymore. Okay. I don't want to. Right. I don't even want to talk to him you know or what? about him. I'll even cut this out. No, I mean, yeah, you have to. Okay, you have to cut this out because it's going to be. It's, it, it's I now. I've said cut this out. I can't stand this kid anymore. I mean, every no, no, no. <laughs> everything's fine. Oh no, it's he... all right. No, the levels are. Oh, no, it's perfect now. He thinks he thinks that the le that this voice. He thinks that I'm like really low in the mix right now. He doesn't understand that I'm whispering to you. No, it's fine. So, never, yeah, just cut this out. Okay, never mind. Forget it. I'm done with this guy. <clears throat> but um, so so, do you want to go back and forth on these questions? Do you have one for me? Oh yeah. Uh, sure. I might have one for you. You ready? Yeah. Who are you? Oh, man. Oh, you're going to lay this one on me. Um, there was a long time that I would say, I mean, even a long, for a long time, just a short who are, time who ago. Who are you? Who were you? Who <laughs> are you make, now? Please don't make this harder than it has to be. Oh, no. Um, this is easier now. I'm giving you options, baby. Um, no, but there was a long time, uh, a short time ago, that I, I would say I don't know. <laughs> that would be Very the true. only, the only answer that I could do to this uh, this question. But yeah. um, I'm, uh, I don't know. It's hard to to gauge like how you um, define your identity. You know, is it your you know, is it your career path, like what you're into and everything mm -hmm. like that? But I don't know. I guess I'm, 
I'm uh, the kind of person who is always seeking out new knowledge, not afraid to, um, you know, to adjust a certain belief based on new information. So just sure. constantly taking in new stuff. Um, and I always took that, uh, that thing to heart of like, uh, just like learning something every day, you know, sure. try to try to obtain, you know, something new and build a, you know, a repertoire and, um, you know, think critically about a lot of stuff. And, um, I am one of those people who is, uh, overly burdened with self-awareness. So that doesn't, um, <laughs> It's not necessarily like helpful in social situations, but you know, once you get uh, get used to an environment, it you know it becomes a little bit easier to talk to other people because, um, you know, you're not a uh, no, you're not afraid to speak your mind, especially since you spent so much time about you know why you think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm a critical thinker, I think in a philosophical way. Um, and with this thinking and learning and such, did you did you learn anything yesterday? I'm sorry, I forgot to ask that. Ooh. Um yesterday was my day off, so <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> but I'll make up for it during the work week. Um okay. uh, You but, learned uh, nothing. Come on now. There's okay. something. No, there. No, what happened something. on your day off? What did you watch on your day off? What did you listen to? What was something where you said, "Oh yeah, uh huh, yep." Um, I did have like a kind of weird, um, weird interaction with uh with people on um on Monday, and I didn't really, I didn't really say anything. I just kind of listened, but it was just like very strange to hear people like. They were like kind of um, like judgmental of mm-hmm. certain groups of people, and I just had the um, <laughs> I was just thinking in my head like like you you don't understand how a certain person can think this way, but like how do you think this way? And then I realized that like I was judging them, but I wasn't making like generalizations, but not to make it yeah. like any better, but you know, what I was doing, but it just, um, I don't know. I don't know how someone can call themselves open-minded and then like refuse to understand, you know, how someone else could be. It kind of goes into, not um, even to refuse to understand, but to refuse to try to understand the, the, to, to be open to new ideas or, or conflicting ideas. That's the main thing that people, it, it's mind blowing to me day to day. I see this. Yeah, so I'll, I mean, I'll get into it. It's, um, it was a group of, um, you know, conservative-leaning women, and they were saying how they couldn't see how any woman would be into a non-masculine man, and I just, <laughs> it was just so, like, I was like, well, how could I possibly explain the kink community if you can't even get there? Like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm guessing their view is like it's it's very black and white. It's one or the other. Either it's a manly man, or it's in their mind some sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, their words of a, a prissy little man who can't do anything or what, like you know, might not be able to fix a car. Yeah, like, and that's... I would I would make the argument that um, you know they are you know, not the most feminine women, you know, they're the more outdoors type, you know, sure. like riding around in, uh, you know, riding around in trucks doing like, 
you know, heavy lifting and like, you know, uh, farm, farm, farm type work. Yes, mountain mm-hmm. folk. So I would say, you know, wouldn't it make sense through the transitive property that a more feminine woman would be interested in a, you know, a little more feminine man? You know, Perhaps. I feel that's a sliding scale as far as that's concerned. So to think that those people don't exist or there's not a reason for it is just like, you know, crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, just just it's... as a side note real quick, talk, talking about uh, who we are as a person and, and, and femininity versus masculinity. You know, I, I'd spent uh, years, obviously. I mean, it, you know, your formative years, are, you're just asking questions about yourself, whether you're actually doing it or it's subconscious or whatever. You're, you're just wondering and questioning why certain things are the way they are, especially about your uh, self, internally, externally. Uh, and the more and more I understood that it was fine to be, quote, more feminine or whatever you would want to call it. Um, and, and the more that I found my inner woman i i realized more of how much of a manly guy i am on the other side of things and to have that certain balance and to understand that now uh i i couldn't ask for anything better and for for me to hear other people react in such a way of just like hey this it's either this or that and if it's not then it's wrong well and uh, also um it also gives uh gives way to this idea that it's a choice to be more feminine and more masculine and in that case it's like why why would i choose to you know like why would i force myself into a situation where i'm not comfortable where i have to act like a fucking tough dude all the time <laughs> yeah sounds, why the sense do you think it was my exhausting. choice to be a, <laughs> yeah do you think it was my choice to be a hetero dude i don't want to be fucking boring like that not my choice yeah. this is how i am yeah exactly and um yeah i don't know everybody <laughs> <laughs> everybody has their own um like preferences as far as that goes and most of your preferences you didn't choose one or the other you're just like you know some music makes me irritated as hell and then other music does not and even music that's like you know in the same genre you know one artist is real bad at it and you know someone else could be really good at it and it's like that's not you you know every person is individual and you have to um you know put that forward and like you know, attraction with someone has nothing to do with, like, how feminine or how masculine they are on that scale. It's, you know, it's chemistry. It's how they smell. It's how you I'm, feel when you're around them. And that's, like, the idea that that could be, you know, dictated on specific personality traits is just... I I, well, I, I don't understand that. So I guess I'm doing the never. same thing they're doing by not understanding. <laughs> well... Check check this out. I'm attracted to you. I don't have answers why. So that's one thing. But I was thinking about this whole choice thing. And if you if you really if you really want to dissect the way that we form choices, the way that we form our, our growth, especially, you know, in our adolescence or our, our teen years. Okay, let's let's say this. Let's say there's a kid and he chooses he says that he chose that he's straight. And so that kid also chooses what music he listens to and how, uh, you know, the music that he chooses to listen to is so much better than the other ones, and that's why he chose it. When you really look at that from, like, you know, outside of a bubble, it's, it's more like 
this kid is very influenced by the kids around him. And so yes. he, if anything, he did not choose anything. And the only people who truly do choose are the people who choose to not lie about who they are. They choose to put themselves out there and they choose to show the world who they actually are inside and out. And they're not afraid of that shit, no matter how debilitating it can be. Uh, and for these people who say that they've chosen to be one way or another, that that's uh, interesting enough. I, I, I mean, I think the argument's there to say that you didn't choose anything, boy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, and I also agree with that other thing you said. Um, also can't explain it. <laughs> uh, and that's and okay. That, uh, that's, that's chaos. Yep, exactly. Yeah. The whole world is complete chaos. And, and that's good. Yeah, it's definitely good. But, you know. For the most part. Things can be. There's... I mean, yeah. I would like to get rid of like genocide. That would be something that would be cool to get rid of, or right. uh, you know, and it, just hate. And in it general. would be, it would be pretty cool to have the ability to think that you know, only good things are going to happen to you. I don't know how people do that, and like just like <sighs> throw, throw everything in like the, you know, the throw everything into the will of an idea that like, you know, if you're if you're a good person, you only mm -hmm. get rewarded and you know anytime you're not rewarded it's all part of this bigger plan i like that would be awesome if i had the capability to think that <laughs> now to well if if i had the ability to understand that or or in my own mind to think that i've got a predestination you know like like i've i've i have a destination already picked out or i have paths already picked out and everything's predetermined and you could just live on autopilot. Oh man! And I didn't have to think about anything. Oh, you yeah. know that would be uh, naivete is life. I that that is, or the the way of life, uh, seemingly. But uh, at the same time, holy cow! Do I not? You know, I interact with far too many people. It's like like you were saying, uh, we just had somebody come in the other day. Uh, for those who who don't, know, a, lot, a lot of people might call a, a glass bottle of Coke a Coke made out of cane sugar. At least in our area. A lot of people call it a Mexican Coke because it is made in Mexico and it is one of the better ways of drinking a Coca-Cola, if not the best way of drinking a Coca-Cola if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and so we have these at our work and uh, at, a, at our brewery that I work at and uh, somebody was asking about non-alcoholic drinks and we said, yeah, we, we, we've got Mexican Coke. And they said, quote, oh, no, I don't think I want that. To which we reeled back like, uh, <laughs> what, what do you mean? And they said, is it, like, made in Mexico? And, like, this woman, I don't know where they were from, but they weren't, you know, we're, we're in this uh, uh, sort of a spoiled bubble of the Bay Area where we're fairly, quote-unquote, woke. But uh, to have this woman be so horrified by the idea of this Coke, this Coca-Cola product to be Mexican of some sort and how Mexican is such a negative thing. And it, and it just kind of blew my mind that there's still people out there. And, I mean, I'm from South Carolina. You know, my whole family's from over there. Like, we... I get it. I get the whole misunderstanding of of uh, what is and what isn't racist over there. I totally. I've I've been around it a lot, but uh, to have this uh, in in this year of 2019, you know, we're in the future. We have tablets and and scooters that we get to ride around on, and we we have cars that can drive us ourselves, and we're still like on this strangely xenophobic in a in a city that is not. 
you know, majority white either. Yeah. That, well, that's San, the thing. San Jose I'm is fairly even split as far as that goes between, um, yeah, between the, uh, the um, you know, uh, Latino community and yeah. the Asian community. And, like, yeah, it's pretty well even split. And I think, what, it's, like, maybe 30% white? Maybe... Maybe not even that. I think it's probably yeah. It's, it's it might be twenty five percent or something like yeah. that. I, and and you know I would I would say that this person was part of a group of people, and I think it was a uh, you know part of a convention that was going on. And if anybody wants to do detective work for San Jose Convention around you know July twenty fifth two thousand nineteen, I don't know if you want to do some detective work and find out what kind of party this is. Uh, long story short, it's it's yeah, it's surprising to have these instances, and 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 it's. It's shocking, and it shouldn't be shocking just because people are people, and, and you should never be shocked by what happens, but it's it's just, come on, again, like, me as an old man, in this day and age, we're fucking far ahead of this, I thought, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to see people just still not get it yet, you know, nobody, nobody's had that epiphany yet of life. Yeah, and I, I'm, like I, like I mentioned before, um... You know, perhaps we are overburdened with self-awareness. <laughs> Perfect. And speaking of which... And some people are unburdened by self-awareness, so it does go both ways. <laughs> I am unburdened by self-awareness in a few different ways. But more so than not, I feel like I am burdened. But it's 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 not a burden just because, you know, if you, if you take it on as an idea of, well, this is kind of like my job less of a burden i'm I'm not i'm not uh it's not something that i have to do it's something that i want to do i want to be aware of yeah that's my true. surroundings and such yeah. and that that's a huge point that i feel like a lot of people miss which is just no just be aware of your surroundings just be conscious of who you're around uh you know it doesn't matter who it is it's just you you, you have humans around you and so just for for nothing else for presentation's sake alone just pretend that you're a nice person out in the world. It just makes everything a lot easier. Be an asshole by yourself, you know? Whatever you do in your own home, that's up to you, man. I'm not going to judge you. But when you're out in this world, I'd like you to be a little bit nice, please, around us other humans. It's, it just makes everything uh, go by a lot smoother. Yeah. I'm not uh, saying that to you, obviously, James. I'm saying this to the to the people that are out there. Hopefully this uh, to, to the spread. To the, to the greater you. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not pissed off necessarily, but goodness, is it is it is it disheartening to see people who just act like animals in the worst possible ways, and and it's just like we're we're an evol we're we're an evolved being that has come so far over so many things, but still we have these ruts that we are stuck in. Yeah, I, man, I, we've got so much like bullshit going on here like man when are we ever gonna make it to mars <laughs> well this is the the craziest thing i don't even care so much about mars i care more about what happened on this planet before we were us and and how much has been lost and how there's so many things to to check out and to to look for especially like you know under the ocean but we'd rather spend this on a giant military for no reason and and uh you know even space exploration it's like we don't even know what's in our backyard still uh yeah like, like i mean that's yeah mars was a metaphor for like, oh absolutely you know, great oh, greater you. science but like yeah man it's 
it's very disheartening to um you know grow up of like you know dreaming of like one day being able to go to space uh which you know Elon Musk might be able to help us out with that. It sounds like he's still working on it, and that's where well, now NASA's like, yeah, we can partner with SpaceX, and that'll benefit both of us. So it's like, ooh, that's a that's fantastic. I've, I just read that recently. Yeah, and it's like we privatized things that shouldn't be privatized, and then we didn't privatize things that should have been for such a long time. Like, we're just now getting privatized, you know, space travel, and like, you know, yeah. where we're obtaining science and everything, and then like we can't you know, get, you know, good government funding for, like, things that we need it, like, you know, education and, like, university education and, mm-hmm. you know, healthcare. And, you know, we have a private prison system, which is, like, for-profit prisons is, that's completely insane to me. Well, and, well, let me, let me, let me say this argument. Now, here's, here's what I have to say with the privatize, uh, privatization of, of prisons. Um... Look, why not make money off of people, huh? Okay, why not save a buck or two and, you know, don't give them, you know, they don't, they're in jail. They don't need towels and and proper, you know, cleaning products and whatnot for their bodies. I say that every prison (laughs) should be privatized just because I, it's the American dream to make a buck. And if I'm going to make the buck, a buck off the back of, uh, these people who are supposed to be reformed in some sort of way or having a reformation program, and I don't supply that reformation program, I believe it is my right as an American citizen and influencer to make money off of those people. So I will privatize a hundred jails before I don't privatize them. Well, I I I mean, I mean, it just, it makes sense that, uh, you know, country built on slave labor would continue to use it, so... Holy fuck, that's insane. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's a perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> that along with the idea that or 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 the concept the, the 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 concept of this happening which has already happened of hey, all these kids have a school debt for their school lunches because you're supposed to be paying for hot lunches. Okay, so they set up a program so that these kids can have hot lunches and they don't pay for it, right? That that's what a lot of schools have had. I had that at some point. Um it, it, it comes out of the taxes that you're paying for the school. Like, that's how this thing works, for the most part. But for them to now have a debt where it's like, you need to pay us now for the food that you are unable to afford. And on top of all that, there's there, there, there are some people who've stepped in and said, like, okay, well, I'm a guy who has lots of money. I'm going to pay off the debt of this entire school. And the school will not allow it. The school has denied a payment from somebody just because of the the sheer idea of no these children must pay for their food they need to learn a lesson or whatever like this is <laughs> yeah. i don't know how this is spread throughout uh every single stage of life it's not like uh you know you can't be a kid anymore you can't be a kid who has these these sort of dreams or ideas of how the world works and then to be you know Oh, now I know I'm an adult because here are taxes and here's what I have to spend on this and here's what I have to worry about. You know, there's there's always that, that point in time where it finally clicks and it's like, oh, this is what it is to be an adult. Or it happens a bunch of different times in your life. But to be a kid and to think that adulthood is just going to be roses, like, you don't really have that availability anymore, I guess, because you already, through elementary school, have to be dealing with this sort of 
nonsense, bureaucratic, uh, just just you know, intervening. It's it's insane to me. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. The the whole um, everything, the way that everything is working is completely backwards, and it's just like, you know, a step in one direction in the positive way is always, you know. Or one step in one direction is always two steps in the opposite direction. No matter, no matter, no matter who the candidate is, if it's, you know, liberal or conservative, you know, there's always something wrong with it. Which you know, kind of goes back into what we were saying earlier: is that you know, politics doesn't work in you know this way or this way either. And there's a lot of different forms. And you know, I don't think. I think there are very few people that actually feel, you know, re truly represented in government. Sure. Well, this is uh, this is why you, I'm so excited about these. If you really you know, broke it down, yeah. These new candidates that are coming up, and and uh, just every the, there's a sense of uh, working together more so than chewing each other out and stuff. At least on on the sides that that aren't Republican, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, they've already made their choice, so exactly. You know, well, everybody that would seen be the choices now. that would be pretty, pretty weird. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be independent candidates and maybe like Reform Party that are going to run against Trump, but they're really, you know, they are going to double down. I know it was just uh, it was funny to hear the, um, you know, the uh, the liberal side talk about like, well, you know. Trump's so bad that you know Republicans might run against them. It's like no way. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> they've no, got he... the most. He's the most powerful Republican that there's ever been. Because anytime anybody says like, "Hey, you're wrong," and or like this and that, he just ignores them or just like shakes a finger at him, and you know nothing gets done about it. Like he's David Lynch even said that he's. Um, He's uh, going to go down as one of the greatest presidents of all yes. time because he lets nothing get by him. It's like, yeah, no, his ideas suck, but, you know, it could open the door for someone who's just like, you know, actually on top of their shit who yes. doesn't take any shit from anybody. Yeah, um, what I read from that quote was like, yeah, the, uh, he's he's the best president because he's the one who's going to fuck everything up and you kind of have to fuck yeah. everything up before you can fix it, you know? Right. Good stuff. Fucking David Lynch, yeah. man. I'm telling you, I can't believe that it was only this year that I that I actually tried to seek out some Lynch stuff. Like, you know, it was before my time, and I was too young to watch Mulholland Drive and stuff like that, so I, I'll, I'll give it that. But I, I just never understood the guy until I actually dove in and realized that this guy is just fucking fantastic. We've talked about him, obviously, a bunch before, but yeah. I just want to throw that out there again. I am in love with this man, and the more that I read about him, the more that I see of him, more work of his I see, I just fall more and more madly, deeply in love with this man, and I, I'm smitten. Yeah, I got to go back and watch the ones I haven't uh, seen that much, like, um, like Eraserhead and Elephant Man. I've probably only seen those maybe once each. Same. Yeah, I'm gonna re re so. redo those revisit those uh speaking of which though you know we're, we're talking about space we're talking about politicians we're talking about well now uh, a director and artist uh before you had this epiphany before you had that sort of little break i'll call it an epiphany or like a, a spiritual awakening when you when things finally click and you're starting to realize what sort of path you've made for yourself and how you can keep going you know 
the, the with this positivity and stuff that we're saying. Um, before that, what was it that you were wanting to be when you wanted it when when you were a kid? Like, what what would you want to be when you grew up? That sort of a thing. Uh, it's aside like, from the hey, I love music and I'm probably going to do that at some point. But like when you're you're younger, before any of these sort of epiphanies of who you are. I mean, that's an extremely easy one. Spaceman, duh. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Or um, well, I mean, I think I. Uh, well, based on the movies that I watched growing up, like maybe like if FBI agent, mm-hmm. um, like some kind of undercover thing, like uh, I don't know, a la Face Off, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I mean, a guy you know, with a gun running around. I wasn't, uh, you know, grounded in reality when I was a kid, so it's like, like I am now. That's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm grounded in my own reality. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't think we could actually switch faces with people, but like, oh, I don't yeah. know, maybe like CIA, something like that. But like, I think probably originally it was like Spaceman. Um, well, it was a lot simpler I, b- back when, when, you know, the CIA as, as we thought of it or, or as it was for the most part, it, aside from a lot of secret and undercover jobs and whatever's going on, but you know, the, the, the job itself was so much simpler just because we didn't have all this technology that we have today. And it's um, pre nine pre nine eleven too. Pre nine eleven, I mean, exactly. You know, my idea of it was more like a Mission Impossible type thing than anything else. Um, actually, well, I mean, it's every every kid paleontologist, um, but because like, who's not into dinos? Um, Pre com. But again, nine eleven. But again, I mean, I didn't have a concept that it was, uh, you know, a lot of. You know, digging with a paintbrush. So, you know, had I known that, I probably would have been less, <laughs> you know, less uh, forward on wanting to go into paleontology. You know, most of people with that education just like um, hang out in a museum, like trying to get, you know, individual dirt fragments off of like tiny prehistoric rat bones. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's it's not like. Hey, I found a full T-Rex right now. Yeah, they're tracking, you know, individual bones that are, like, found in, like, fossilized shit or something like that. Like, that's <laughs> most of all the big stuff has already been, uh, you know, already been discovered for the most part. You know, I, I was watching something on Nova, and I might have mentioned it before, but it's, it's, it's called uh, The Day the Dinosaurs Died, and I believe it's on Netflix right now. But it was a documentary talking about, you know, well, how did this crater actually impact the dinosaurs and all the other animals that are on there? And so what they start doing is that, you know, off the coast of Greenland, I want to say, they, was it Greenland? I don't even know. Don't quote me on any of this stuff. But basically, they're uh, doing some core drilling samples. So they're pulling up core from so far down uh, in this off offshore area. And they're showing like these sections of, okay, here's this era here's the pliocene this is the the cretaceous period uh and showing like okay now this huge dark area is after the you know the asteroid had hit and the whole area had just been covered with just soot and ash and melted all the rocks into these weird crazy warped uh glass features and stuff like that uh from there, you could see exactly when the asteroid hit and what was after it and so they and they also figure out these ages or these these eras by grinding up a piece of this stone that they pull out and microscopically analyzing 
which little tiny shells and microorganisms are within embedded into this rock. And that was one of the craziest things that I just would have never thought of. But this guy putting some dust under the microscope with some liquid and saying, oh yeah, this is this era, like by the, you know, as, as close to the year as you can get just by looking at these shells that were in this rock. Uh, and yeah. that little ti- tiny sort of paleontology I've never even thought of, but but still really radical. If you told me, though, like straight up, if you said, hey, you're not going to be working with dinosaurs as much, but you are going to be finding fossilized poop and taking out bones of that, I would be still totally down. Yeah. Um, not well, as exciting, but totally down. Yeah, and it's like the... Um, I went to the La Brea Tar Pits like years ago, and they were talking about you know, the stuff that they were finding, what brought me to the, the rat bones mm-hmm. is they're pulling up these like giant globs of tar and sifting them and finding these tiny bones that are like, you know, less than a millimeter thick and like a centimeter long. And they're oh, figuring wow. out what this bone belonged to after cleaning all this tar off of it. Sure. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And then when you go back and really think about like what all the tar is, the tar is all you know, bones and like, you know, body Lush. matter that has yeah. turned into, you know, raw petroleum at this point. It's pretty crazy. Like that's just older dead stuff than the, you know, full bones that you're, uh, you're gathering. Insane. Yeah, th- yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Bringing it back to, I don't want to go out in space as much as I just want to figure out what happened here because there's so many I mean, they're, they're talking about the Denisovans now, you know, another subspecies of humans that are very, very close to us that a lot of different people, depending on where you're from across the globe, uh, have, you know, Neanderthal. They also have the Denisovans. And, uh, Interesting. you know, the, these, these huh. yeah, there's, they're these unknown species. And along with this, they've been finding tools and stuff of, uh, or, or rather, uh, jewelry that was made from drilling holes in it, and and the the striations in the drill pattern is like showing that uh, it, it was using more of a higher speed sort of a drill implementation, uh, and and it's like, well, this you know we didn't have that until this era of us as humans. Like, how the hell do did we never see this, never understand until right now? These new discoveries are pointing towards just what we thought was impossible or absolutely unknown. It's, it's really, things are starting to change right now and it's really fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, a lot exciting. of the, a lot of the history that we know is based off of like what was written. So mm-hmm. for all we know, what was going on and, you know, things that were going on, you know, in England at the turn of like the, uh, the 11th century, that might be, you know, civilization that advanced may have happened way earlier on another side of the of the world and that we don't have records of that because they were using you know whatever they were using we think of everything before then using stone tablets but Uh they could have had some sort of you know paper-like thing that had just been lost to time exactly no there 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 are plenty of things like like we think of previous humans uh, again such a simple level of just okay we had at some point we had these stone tools but what happened before that like okay before eh, i'm not even gonna get into this like crazy but uh recently i was i was i was reading up on and and listening to graham hancock talking about these lost civilizations and how basically this idea of 
okay, at some point there's kind of like this mass extinction of humans and we kind of had to like restart again. Uh, and we lost so much before that, obviously. And these are things that are completely, literally like lost to time. And he's been finding this evidence of giant cities within the middle of the Amazon. And, and you know, cities that could arguably hold like 20 million people or something like that. Like, and to have this working on on a, a a bit of earth that is very hard to farm like how do they how do they provide for all these people within this place and and we don't know of this until now because we're just discovering these giant pieces of architecture and things that are so similar like things that are in south america that are so similar to different places in asia and pyramids that are all over the place and we still just have no fucking clue what any of this stuff is and it's pretty crazy. So again, all I want to say is, let's figure out what happened in this history of this this organism that we're living on. Yeah, but uh, uh, not to bring it back to space, but you know, there could be some alien intervention there. Oh man, that's you know one of the one of the only books that I've read recently uh, or finished rather was uh, uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey, and yeah. the way that they explain the monolith interacting with ape men is really interesting because you know you can't the easiest way to learn something is to see somebody else do it and then you can copy their movement and so mm -hmm. basically the idea is this monolith comes down and plugs into this monkey brain somehow whether telepathically or not uh and it shows it uh how to use a rock or how to use a bone and from there he teaches the other uh, monkey men and that that leads to you know the evolution of to where we are now basically and so yeah yeah an extraterrestrial intervention but i even i just say you know what there's got to be dozens and dozens of of times that the earth has started over like i think we're just getting close to another time where earth is gonna just kick everything off and try and start over again and uh and I feel like that's happened so many times that we we have no clue about just because everything has been destroyed. And so what we think of as artifacts or we think of as they should have things written down, well, they probably had records of these things, but they were just never written. Maybe maybe there was a maybe there was a, a version of humanity that uh, you know did everything through sound, and there's just yeah. you know that that's how they evolved with technology. Uh, you know who knows? Nobody knows. I was I was uh, recently talking to a uh, Christian conspiracy theorist, and it was a very interesting conversation. Um, but we, um, you know, it was like a, you know a respectful dialogue, and I just wanted to know like where he stood on certain things because there's mm -hmm. like as far as like uh, aliens and everything, like I'm totally on board. But like he had some pretty out there ideas, and then I had to ask him the question like, well how old do you think the world is? And he said like, oh, I mean, it could be like 15,000 years. And then <laughs> going back to what we know about like written history and everything, like, you know, and what he has to base uh, his beliefs on. Uh -huh. I, and what you just mentioned, I'm just thinking like, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's not too far off with where we currently are. Like we've got, you know, the, oh, sure. the, 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 the world the modern, itself. Yeah, the modern man, um, what is that, like 30,000 years or 50,000 years, I think? It's over 50 oh, now. It's crazy. Yeah. So 50,000 years, you know, if you go back, you know, farther than that, you know, our whole 
our whole evolution system, um, what, like 125,000 years, somewhere around sure. there, maybe 200,000 years, you know, that 200,000 years may have happened many, many times in the, like, you know, 12 billion that, yes. you know, this rock has been in this place. So, you know, that That's might not saying. be like the world as it is now, like, you know, saying 15,000 seems ridiculous because it's like, well, dinosaurs existed 65 million years ago, but mm -hmm. like, you know, even, you know, 65, 80 million years ago is like not that much time compared to, you know, 12, 14 billion that, you know, this, you know, this, uh, the expansion of the universe has been happening. Sure. So this could be over years and years. And maybe there's just like, you know, underneath layers of rock, like maybe that solid rock that you get to like further down in the earth, maybe mm -hmm. that's just, you know, dead things that, you know, just got compressed into rocks. Exactly. You know, it, maybe it, this it, wasn't look, all formed at one time and we're on a, you know, a less linear timeline than we think. Who says, who says that there weren't, uh, I don't know what you would say, uh, conscious beings, let's say hu humanoids or whatever you might want to say, similar to us. Let's, Sen who, sentient, I guess. Who's yeah. to say that there weren't sentient beings before the dinosaurs? Like, that's something to think about. Yeah. Like, I don't think there were. Who knows? But at the same time, like, there's no way of truly knowing. So why not? This this just brings us back to the idea of, like, why not just have an open mind to all this stuff? Because you know what? Before shit's proven, all this is just theory and, and, and conjecture. Uh, until it's proven, then it becomes science fact. You know, that that's, that's the... That's exactly how it's been for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Obviously, and uh, man, we we just we know nothing. It's it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson said on on Cosmos at one point, talking about the the universal calendar. I think is what he calls it, where we are. Mm -hmm. if, if if it's like a calendar, like how we know it, with twelve months and around thirty days each month, we are on the last day, the last hour, the last minute, the last fifteen seconds of the last day of that calendar year. Uh, and everything before us, we basically have no idea other than what these fossil records can show, and that's all we've got. Everything else is just theory, and, uh, hey, yeah, we've got, who knows what's out there, man? Yeah, we know, like, the previous, like, you know, week or two, maybe. And <laughs> even, even then is, like, kind of, like, uh, you know, it's fuzzy, it's a blur. Yeah. Hey, man, I don't even so, know um, what happens the last night. <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to bring that question back to you uh before the epiphany of um you know what you wanted to do uh when you were growing up what was um what was your idea of you know where you thought you were going in this life and uh you know what career path would you have taken well uh it's like this question for, for anybody, I feel like is a fairly, uh, I don't know if loaded question is the right term for it, but there, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, different different eras of my life, I thought different things, obviously. And of course, I want Spaceman. And yeah, of I course. <laughs> Dinosaur Man. Yeah. And I want to be, I don't know, it, 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 I, I didn't know for a long time, and I was a confused kid, and, and you know, through... When I got glasses in fourth grade and third grade was like a, you know, I understood that I had dystymia, a little kid depression, basically. And 
bunch of other things going on. I was I was a I had no clue what I could be um, because I I realized later that I just didn't have any sort of self pride for some reason. But uh, wow, that got deep and dark for no reason. Sorry about that, guys. Hey, but uh, besides Spaceman, I started realizing that I wanted to become an artist after I saw that uh, Van Gogh was not only uh, a depressed dude, but had, like, migraines and stuff like I did when I'm, you know, this little kid hearing this, seeing this amazing artwork and seeing that this guy has these same quote-unquote afflictions that I did, uh, that kind of really started me off. I knew I was, I was going to be an artist of some sort, and for a long time I wanted to be, like, just a, a cartoony sort of illustrator. There's, there's a guy who I got obsessed with called Jason Showgreen, and I haven't looked at his work in a long time, but his early stuff... Uh, really made me, uh, you know, maybe maybe like a kid's storybook illustrator or something like that. I never thought of graphic design until I started making my own DVD covers and such. Um, but before any of this, I mean, I just wanted to be a man, I guess, you know? Like, I just wanted to be an adult and drive a car. And, yeah. uh, like, I like to, you know, you, you don't think of people having you know b- before you think of people having jobs and people doing things it's it's like i just can't wait until i'm able to do those things that i think are cool which is yeah that car can go fast or uh you know vroom, vroom. i have money to to buy paint and stuff maybe but i don't know i feel like i lost uh i feel like i've forgotten a big chunk of my childhood maybe but uh you know what spaceman so, well, it is interesting that you brought up Van Gogh, because I think that's um, that's every kid's introduction to the idea of the, like, tortured artists. And, interesting. you know, you learn about them, and you know, I remember learning about, you know, what, you know, what Starry Night was, like, as early <laughs> as, like, kindergarten or first grade, uh, maybe second grade, but... I definitely found out that Van Gogh cut his own ear off in second grade. And, yeah. you know, that idea, what's not taught is that, you know, every, every artist experiences that. Like, you, you have to be, like, critical of yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's how you make art is by doing it a thousand times, saying it's not good enough until, you know, you have something that is presentable and sometimes you don't even know it's presentable until or you never know you you know it's after you're dead that anybody is even discovered about this like mm-hmm. it's um yeah i yeah i find it a little um oh no a little disheartening that there's um you know to work so hard at something for such a long time and like you know get a like a great show by a really drunk person <laughs> on the stuff I worked on. And like, that's the recognition I get. And that's like, that's how it's been happening since the dawn of art itself. You know, but one or two people are going to say that's... like, Hey man, like good job. <laughs> and you know what? They wouldn't have said that shit if you didn't go out and do that. So that right. alone is, you know, I, I, I realize this. I feel like everything that is good uh and i lump creativity into that i i lump art into that because i feel like it is there's there's no argument art is the best thing about humanity uh because it leads to so many other disciplines and and understanding of the world 
Um, and again, that's sort of like, you know, if you've never really had experiences one side or the other of like really good things happening and especially really bad things happening to you, you know, I, I, there's a lot that's lost. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not gatekeeping. I'm not saying that in order to be an artist, you have to be some sort of fucked up soul or anything, but I think the greatest artists that are out there and the ones that just kept going and going and going are the ones who are insane. Like who else would, who else would have like a talent and, and just no matter how much you are shit on and destroyed over and over again and how much you, you destroy yourself, uh, who else is crazy enough to try and keep doing that? You know, it's, it's just, we've got this strange, uh, flaw within our brain to every time we fail to try and like come out of that. And I think, uh, you know that's a, that's a huge just stepping stone of humanity itself a huge evolution uh yeah and i even socially. find i find when you know i do work really hard on something and someone will tell me it's good i'm just like ah oh, this is not you know i'm capable of so much more you know always pushing myself sure. harder and like you know if i'm not getting if i'm not getting beaten down i just do it myself so i do it better the next time yeah, and and it takes a long time to realize what you're actually doing there, right? What how how yeah. you're interacting with yourself and others, and and uh, no art it, with without art without the creative mind, we wouldn't have the scientific mind, and you know back and forth. It, it's it's ditto to both sides, uh, and it's it's crazy to me, or or it bums me out when I see like, hey, I'm an artist, and then you see somebody's work, and it's like. What is this saying? What is this? This this means nothing. This is this is. You're not you're you're literally not bringing anything into the world. And I'm not saying that any of my work necessarily does that. But at least I have emotions behind things, and and I have, you know, I do a bunch of different types of stuff. Well, yeah, it's like um to to bring it again. Back to not David knocking Lynch. anybody. I'm sorry to feel not positive no. or whatever, but I, I'm just saying that. Yeah, you got well, you, Either um, you're an artist or you're not. It's back to um to friend of the podcast David Lynch saying that um great friend. You know his movies are um he takes his words and his feelings and then translates them into film and mm-hmm. you know you see art sometimes where you know nothing is translated. You know it's like mm. like uh Bob Ross is very very good at painting trees but there's not you know there's not necessarily anything like um conveyed or that has to be interpreted by the viewer of that art it is yeah it is trees and it invokes a feeling but nothing needs to be you know translated from the artist's mind to the viewer's mind it's a very you know and linear there's an argument of you don't even thing. need that necessarily you don't need an argument right. you don't need something say, being said but i feel like it's rather important yeah and not saying that that's not art there's just you know there's all all different kinds of art and you know i prefer the kind that you know forces me to pull something out of myself yeah or 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 uh, you know and i never like things that are just shocking for shocking sake i don't think that's kind of i don't really think that's art too much again this is all subjective yeah. and it doesn't matter what i think but uh right. you actually bringing it back to david lynch a uh, friend of the podcast he yes good uh, friend that quote of, you know, and, and he says this a lot. Yeah. How did you get started in filmmaking? Well, I wanted to make paintings that moved. Uh, yes. And hearing, I mean, sillyly, 
sillily enough, silly enough there, uh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that because it, it just hits such a chord with me, I feel. Uh, and that makes me realize that, you know what, I forgot a huge part of me being a kid, which is movies. I was introduced very, very early on. I, I feel like, yeah, I think I, uh, my mom had to leave Thelma and Louise when I was like one or two years old because I was laughing the entire time and giggling she started bringing me to movies when i was very very young and and I, my my mother is, is somebody who uh is a huge champion of the arts in general and a huge part of that is film and you know as most kids or most people are, are super into film i know not a lot of kids are necessarily seven years old watching black and white hitchcock films and and you know getting it to the most that they could understanding it the most that they could you know, especially talking about like the world being brought in, like uh, my parents sat me down and said, OK, now this is going to be really intense, but I feel like this is a film that you need to see. Uh, you're of age now. And I think I was 10. I was maybe a little bit younger, but I think I was around 10. And they played Amistad. And the very first opening scene is them on this boat and them chucking overboard everybody who's sick and, and uh, you know, it was one of the scariest things that I had ever seen, and I'm screaming, crying, watching this. And you know, my parents are trying to say something like, "Well, this is history, but this this is something that it's not that's not going to happen again." And I remember being freaked out enough and and saying, "I, but what if aliens come down and they enslave us, and then like we and and you know, I'm ten thinking this stuff." Um, but but movies are are a huge window into the world at large for me. Um, dinosaurs and stuff. I was I was stoked about dinosaurs. A lot of it was uh, Jurassic Park. And of on course, top of all yeah. this, uh, I wouldn't understand art as well as I do if it weren't for film. Because with film, I am in love with the technical aspects, especially the cinematography, the, yes. the art of the film. And for me to finally get into Lynch and to understand that his, you know, there this is the definition of art films. Uh, and and to see cinematography like for Road to Perdition. Conrad L. Hall, who also did American mm -hmm. Beauty, uh, uh, the late great uh, Conrad L. Hall, he opened up my eyes to how just things are framed. That, along with like Orson Welles with Citizen Kane, obviously cliched. Yeah, that was answer, yeah, same for me. Yeah, um, yeah, Road to Perdition. I saw that. Um, I had hmm. a uh, nice. I had this um, friend down the street. It was a uh, you know an, an older man who kind of just like mentored all the kids. Sure. In, um, in our neighborhood. And he took me to see Road to Perdition when I was like, yeah, probably 10 or 11. And then I was, and mm. then, yeah, there's those like scenes at the dinner table and it just kind of zooms out. And then you can see like the, you know, the hallway framing and everything like that. And that's when I first started noticing that. Um, so yeah, it's how, crazy how that you, you mentioned that movie specifically, cause that was the movie that I first remember paying attention to cinematography. Sure. So, so, so check this out. That movie, as I'm thinking about it right now, and you know, I've been thinking about this for a few days. I was listening to the soundtrack recently, one of my favorite soundtracks of, of all time, uh, Thomas Newman, uh, friend of the podcast. But as, uh, as I was thinking about this right now, that movie cinematically shows how to reveal things in so many different ways. I, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of two examples off the top, both involving Daniel Craig, who this is the first time also me seeing Daniel Craig and just being blown away by this creepy dude. It was great. Um, but there's a shot where he, uh, spoiler alert, kills the mother and son, and 
the the boy who's left the main the main kid in the movie he uh he's looking right at him through a screen door and from the kid's perspective he can see him he's outside nighttime from daniel craig's perspective he can't see it because there's a reflection of the light that's that's shining just enough where you can't see on the other side of the screen door that kind of thing and playing with emotions of of expectations of 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 the the cinema goer that shot along with later in the movie Finally, there's a point where Tom Hanks gets rid of, uh, shoots, shoots, uh, oh, what's his name in the head? Now I can't think of his name, even though I just said it, Daniel Craig, shoots him in the head, and, and he bumps into the, the mirror of a bathroom door, a bathroom door that has a mirror on it, and as it starts to close, mm-hmm. it reveals the other side of that room where it's, it's, uh, Daniel Craig with a hole in his head, but those little tiny things just blew me away, uh, and, and that along with, yeah, just, just the, the look of things, uh shadow how to use shadow and light it has informed me and my own art so much and also appreciation of you know the great classics and uh, of of the arts you know your rembrandt your van gogh just that much more the way that color is used the way that lines are used it, film is my biggest art form uh i feel like film is the one thing that i'm absolutely obsessed with focused on let's say yeah and i I agree with you. Like I, as much as music plays a role in my life and that's like the, the art that I do, the way that I make music is through, I interpret something visually and then translate it into music. So yeah, I definitely, a more direct translation of, um, of my music would be film versus, you know, Mm. other, you know, I get a few like, you know, I'll get a few like tangible ideas from music, but the, the overall mood and everything—that's definitely more influenced mm-hmm. by film. Ah, uh, that's that. I think yeah, you're, you're you're hitting right on the money there. There's there's an intertwining, a cross pollination, absolutely. Uh, and, and and I think yeah, it's it's music, film, uh, visual like still images, photography. Let's say all those things. It's all this left brain stuff, right? And uh, it's pretty fantastic that this this gray blob in our head is able to tie it all together. So as, yeah. as insane as I've been and how detrimental to my own sanity has it been, uh, you know, me being an artist, I would not give it up for anything just because uh, I am now realizing just how different I see the world compared to everybody else. You know, I'm not just like everybody else and I'm finally accepting that and that's a that's a really crazy thing to uh crazy point to get to honestly yeah and that's how um that's how we met too over um bonding over music and and film i can't remember Mm -hmm. a movie specifically but i know we first started talking to each other over a mutual love for suburban lawns and Mm -hmm. that solidified such a huge connection because it's this weird obscure band with you know, an album and a half worth of material that, you know, I just came, came across totally randomly and started listening into them. I think it was either like on an automatic playlist on YouTube or I saw it on, uh, um, Scott Ackerman used to post, um, like playlists that he would make, um, (laughs) on Instagram just as like pictures from his phone and there was the song Flavor Crystals on it. And I, you know, I think that was the very first time I heard of the band. And then I Man. looked it up and then just like, 
started, you know, just blasting through all of their music. Yeah, I, I feel like it was probably around the same... I, 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 I'm pretty sure that we were both on that same wavelength at that time, because I feel like... Now, when we figured that out with each other talking about Suburban Lawns, was that around the same time that you first started getting into them? Uh, or was yeah. it like years before or something? Okay, perfect, because um, that no, was the no, same thing here. No, no, it was just a, just a few months prior, yeah, if that. So it was exactly the same then, around the same time, at least within the a same four-month period, we found out Suburban Lawns is fucking radical. And for those of you normies who think that Devo is strange... Uh, don't even try suburban lawns because it's it's you don't deserve it. You don't it's deserve not it, buddy. For you, <laughs> it's not for you. It's for us. It's for the cool it's for guys. Us. Okay. Yeah, not to gatekeep or anything, but it's for us. Oh God, suburban lawns, baby. Mine. Uh, Mine. Speaking of, yeah, you know, I, it's interesting. I I always say this, and I, I'm sure I've said this a few times, uh, maybe on here even, but I I feel like there's really a like, you started with music really early on. I started with film really early on. And I feel like that has, uh, you know, sort of telegraphed to us now um, how we are. Like, I always I always felt like it was, you know, I love music, I love movies, but you, I always felt one or the other was was kind of uh, a, a tipping scale in, in, in people. And for me, I was always a movie guy. And for you, you're definitely a music guy, but also a movie guy. Uh, where am I going with this? I don't know. But what... Uh, I, I yeah, I just I did want to mention, so I mentioned, like, when I, you know, Road to Perdition was my first, like, mm. um, yeah, first look into, like, cinematography. Um, yeah. yeah, I was 13 when that came out, um, but before that, like, I, I, I watched a lot of comedies as a kid, but the first thing that got me into horror was um, uh, Cronenberg's The Fly, and I probably watched mm. that at, like, the age of eight, probably. And yeah, I was probably around the same time. And I had an older brother who was around 13, so, you know, he always he always wanted to watch scary movies, and I just kind of got, you know, lumped into it, and then I saw, um, probably saw Alien when I was, like, for the first time, probably when I was, like, 10. Um, and that was, like... <laughs> I was like, oh, these can be very, very good films and be, um, you know, scary yeah. as hell, too. Silence of the Lambs was probably around there. I probably saw that around, you know, 9 or 10. Um, but, yeah, I definitely... Yeah, there's all this um, this talk about how, you know, good horror is getting now, but it's been... It's been good since its inception. It was just, you know, it's oh, so yeah. much easier to produce a... You know, a slasher film with, you know, no plot to it. You could do that on, you know, much less of a budget than like a, you know, a full scale, like, you know, horror psychological thriller in space. Like, you know, it's it's a lot easier to get like fake blood and in a hockey mask to, you know, for, you know, not. No, not necessarily easier to make, but easier for a studio to like produce for a small amount of money yeah. and just crank crank them out and make you know make money quick that way. Um, whereas and, and, you know stuff that takes more time that won't necessarily get your returns, like you're not going to want to invest money in that. Yeah, and I I feel to bridge that gap right in the middle of all that is is uh, John Carpenter who 
Yes. For for years, I had kind of shoved his movies aside because I just thought it was kind of schlocky, silly stuff. But when you really get into it, like Halloween is such a perfectly crafted film, technically, like cinematically, just it's it's kind of perfect. That they live like. You know, it knows exactly what it is, and these movies were made on the cheap, but so well. You know, it's he yeah. he informed you know Sam Raimi and Edgar Wright, I'm sure, and and, and the thing all these as other well. guys. <clears throat> oh my God, the thing! Yeah, yeah John to, Carpenter to... to bridge another gap between uh, film and music. John Carpenter is a huge influence on my music. Oh yeah, and for those of you who don't know, because for some reason, I guess nobody really knows this, but John Carpenter does everything on his movies including the music like he he gets really fucking in there and his music if you haven't checked it out well i mean obviously you've heard his music if you've heard the soundtracks of these films that as you're watching them but uh he is nuts he is so good and 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 definitely i could tell a huge influence on on uh you the best way yeah um and uh yeah if you want to check out some of his music he released a couple albums on sacred bones called lost themes lost themes mm-hmm. one and two and it's all music that uh you know hadn't been used in anything just kind of stuff that he was floating around and um yeah it's really good and yeah like i said huge huge influence on me like you know probably as big of an influence as you know some of those other other heavy hitters like brian eno and mm-hmm. things like that as far as no, my electronic music goes. Sure. But no, maybe I, even, I, I, yeah. Maybe even earlier than Eno, when I look at my, um, you know, starting with like really noisy stuff when I, you know, first started making music and then, you know, going into more, you know, melodic and ambient stuff as I learned, you know, listen to things like Eno more. So, yeah, I would say John Carpenter was before Eno for me. Sure. No, I, I, the most, the, the music that I get or the, the music that has influenced me and the things that as I'm young, you know, informs me now of, especially music that I've been making recently. So I just started doing a bunch of weird ex- experiments, but stuff that I've been coming up with is, is strangely like 60s film soundtracks and stuff like, like the, that sort of vibe, uh, which is really interesting to hear that along with like musical, like music man type of, uh musical tempos and and the way that these these things play with each other um but uh what i was going to say was bridging another gap god damn it goodness i'm sorry james i forgot where i was going with that but uh oh i'm sorry uh eh, screw oh here we go okay so that's how music influenced me, but I really didn't really get into music uh, until I was probably in high school or so, like in terms of like actually listening to stuff. I've heard a lot, and you know, most of my music was informed by what my parents listened to, uh, but I wasn't really a music person until maybe, yeah, ninth grade, picked up an album, uh, and uh, it blew my mind. We'll talk about that later, but um, I didn't start playing music until I was like 18 or 19 probably. And, and the most influential thing for me was like animal collective. Once I understood that music doesn't have to be super, super technical to be complex or something like, it, you know, they're, they're, they're tribal sort of sound, their simplification that they have in their music really made me realize, Oh fuck, there's so much that you could do with anything. 
and that just kind of like opened my eyes and opened my mind to so much more. But I hadn't even heard, I hadn't really actually dig into the Beatles until I was like 17. We just didn't have those records, uh, you know, with my family. And and that's where our bridge falls apart because I do not like the Beatles. Hey, I'm gonna okay. say it on here. It. I'm I'm putting it out in the world. I'm uh, no. yeah. I'm not a Beatles fan. Never really grew up with them, and yeah, not a fan. I but just don't. I don't have a connection question. to them like at all. <laughs> do you have a connection to well, uh, as a, a question posited by Mia Wallace, Mrs. Mia Wallace? Um, mm-hmm. You know, she said you're either an Elvis or a Beatles person. Do you find that true? Are you more of an Elvis person? Um, hmm. And also, yeah, I, I think guess... this question is also kind of silly, and, and I think there are yeah, extra I think there's or answers. Yeah, I think there's definitely more branches. I would say, like, the more classic one would be Beatles versus Rolling Stones, and okay. you know, definitely more Rolling Stones. Um, but yeah, as far as Beatles and Elvis... Like definitely Elvis. Yeah, there's a lot more, a lot more to so Elvis. A... But like, I don't. Well, I don't get the. I don't get. Um, like, I understand. Uh, the Beatles have a lot, you know, more. Um, like the Beatles are a lot more than just like straightforward rock and roll, like Elvis is. Mm-hmm. But I don't get any of the things that other people get out of the Beatles. Like this more like kind of you know sort of psychedelic nature about them and everything like that. Like I just like, I've gone, um, you know, so far into that with other music that I just, you know, it just seems like the Beatles are scratching the surface of that and seem much more of like, you know, a gateway into that question. Yeah. Yeah. They're more of a gateway into that type of music than, you know, something to, you know, not something that you would dig deep with. So I kind of, yeah, I, yeah, so I outgrew say, the Beatles before I really started listening to them. So now they just don't, you know, it doesn't really mean that much to me anymore. Sure. Uh, and 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 it's perfect that I, I, I agree with you with it being a gateway. Uh, now, if you were a, a safe cracker, if you were a cat burglar of a sort, would you be, would you uh, take the door that you opened up for granted? The door that leads you into this room full of jewels? Or would you love the fact that that door was there and you were able to get it open? And because of that door, does it open a gate to the finer goods inside? How do you feel as a cat burglar in the 60s? I mean, I would have, you know, I would have gone into, you know, if there's one room where the, uh, the, like, the treasure is and everything, or I guess... Yeah, what you're saying is, like, there's a little bit... You know, there's maybe one box of treasure in this room, and then it leads to another room. And mm-hmm. I would have gone, um, you know, into several rooms with, like, a single big diamond in them, and then, you know, taken the long way around to eventually find the big treasure room. And then by the time I got to that room with, the like, one box of treasure in it, I would have already been carrying too much. Great. I love that. And I still want to say, if if there were no door, it would be but a wall. And without the proper tools, you wouldn't be able to go through and get to that room. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I guess. No, but I, I, I say this. I say this. Just like, you know, I'm... Am I a fan of the Beatles? Yes. Am I a 
fan of the Beatles? Not necessarily. I, I get it. I enjoy it. There's a lot of it that I am very, very thankful for. I'm more of a Beach Boys kind of guy when it comes to that, and it's really interesting. Oh yeah, to, that's to hear that's the another one. Yeah, totally. And I yeah, Beach Boys and Beatles, Beach Boys all the way. Like everything, I would choose sure. most things over the Beatles if you you know compared them side to side like that. Yeah. But here's here's my here's my thing. Both of them were side by side when they were evolving, in such a way that you know, and I might be getting this wrong, but uh, John Lennon heard pet sounds and like fucking freaked out so they made sergeant peppers or i'm sorry uh what came after that i don't know oh, the psychedelic ones right uh, yeah yeah it's sergeant pepper yeah, would, sergeant or, peppers and because revolver was know. after sergeant pepper see i know things about the beatles i just don't listen to them <laughs> so so it was like a weird context contest that they were accidentally doing with each other where it's like they're you know Brian Wilson was like, I gotta one-up these guys, and then they release, like, Sgt. Peppers, and it's just like, oh, fuck, like, what do I do next, you know? And so he, he tried yeah. producing Smile, which was technically never finished, but what was coming out of that was so crazy. Like, you know, talk about Beatles being an influence. Without the Beatles, I don't, you know, or that that era of the Beatles, without that, Beach Boys would be completely different. You well, know, uh, versa, Rolling Stones... Rolling Stones were doing the same thing. They came out with uh, their Satanic Majesty's request around that time, too. So looking at the discography and the, the dates here, so you got Rubber Soul, right? That was released. Brian Wilson says, Ah, God, that's crazy. He releases Pet Sounds. And the Beatles are like, What the fuck is that? And they're like, Oh, we gotta one-up them. So they do... Yeah, Sgt. Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour came out in the same year, so that's a one-two punch. Then you got <laughs> Brian Wilson going, oh, I'm going to go insane and, and finish up and do Smile, which, as a little plug here, if you if anybody could find this, and if you think you know what, what the, the Beach Boys sound like, find Smile, and it's a version by a person in particular who kind of put it together themselves using a bunch of scraps that they had released recently of uh, the recording pieces, but this person went by the name of Sonic Love Noise, all one word, and a Z in place of the S in noise. Sonic Love Noise, Beach Boys, Smile, check it out. It's, it's, it'll make you cream your jeans. Uh, but no, with, with the Beatles, you know, it wasn't until I was 17 to realize... Uh, Oh, that song. That's that's the Beatles. Oh, this song. That that's the Beatles too. Okay, I guess I've heard a bunch of Beatles songs, um, including you know, we were talking earlier about or we were about to talk right now about an album. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, you asked me what what album got me into music, right? As a kid. Um, yeah, I guess we could do um, kind of a two thing. Like, what album got you into music as a kid, and what album like really you know, got to you into music and, like, how you how you view it today. Well, sure. Well, let's... Here, uh, to, to tie this into the Beatles, there's an album that we had on cassette, and it was a, a staple in the car as we were kids, uh, and it's called Four Hour Children, and it was a... It was an album that was, let's see, it was benefiting, like, pediatric AIDS... Uh, and it was just one of those weird, uh, wow, huge that's, albums that's with a bunch rough. of people. Damn, it's rough, but <laughs> it's rough until you hear the tracks. And let me just, yeah. you know, in order here, we've got Ziggy Marley doing "Give a Little Love." We got 
Bob Dylan singing the classic, This Old Man. Okay. We've got weird things like Little Richard doing Itsy Bitsy Spider. Uh, Bruce Springsteen does a song called Chicken Lips and Lizard Hips. The next Hell line yeah. is Alligator Eyes, and it's talking about all this crazy shit. But there's... Uh, uh, let's see here real quick. There are a couple tracks on here that, that are Beatles that I had never known was the Beatles. Or this Paul McCartney doing Mary Had a Little Lamb, you know? It's, uh, it's pretty crazy looking at all this. Pat Benatar doing Tell Me Why. You got Debbie Gibson and Meryl Streep on here somehow. But anyway, you know, there, there are a few songs on here that I had heard before uh, and never knowing that it was, oh, that's a Beatles song just because I didn't listen to the Beatles when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that was something that really informed me early on because not only was it a million different styles of music, but it was technically like little kids, you know, sing-along songs. But still yeah. there was like something behind it. And there were a couple tracks here and there. That are, uh, you know, were Beach Boys tracks and Beatles tracks that I just never knew. Uh, and it's it's pretty crazy. I'm looking at these tracks, and these aren't completely matching up with the tape that I had when I was a kid, but it's close enough. Huh, that's very interesting choice. Uh, how, how about, um, you know, how you view music now? Like, what got you... That's right. You know, what was the turning point? I mean, for me, it was at the age of, like, 17 that I really mm-hmm. started listening um so yeah what was that for you i'd say it was it was an era more so than one particular band and this era was like early 2000s like you know they 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 called it garage rock it wasn't necessarily garage rock but it was you know early kings of leon white stripes and the strokes um those bands together just blew my fucking mind um and i just from I, i mean they've influenced me throughout my life and and without the white stripes i wouldn't have gotten into like all the crazy weird radical like ragtime blues and stuff that that jack white's into and without the strokes i wouldn't have listened to like television probably and without uh what was the other one that i said here what was that oh kings of leon those first two albums i mean the 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 fact that his voice is cracking halfway through all those tracks and it and it works so well it's just so different than anything that was out around that time along with the sort of uh uh uh, credence clearwater sort of feel and without that i wouldn't have been into credence as much as you know or appreciate them as much so i think that era for me well what about you so uh growing up i'm gonna have a pretty like i guess sort of well I mean, depending on how you were raised, it could be seen as a sort of a, you know, pedestrian option. Uh, But Uh my dad was like a huge Floyd head in college. So, um, yeah, it was Dark Side of the Moon. And it's just the album is the entire life experience. Like, how could how could anything get any better? And then from Uh there, I bounced around, you know, different stuff, got into Yes. um, Sure. No, yeah, Prague to, opens up, man. Obviously, yeah, you know this, but the, uh, um, it, the it yes, blew my mind. Yeah, the Yes album, their first album with a Starship Trooper on it, and then you have you have mm. Fragile with, um, you know, Roundabout and uh, um, Heart of the Sunrise and um, South Side of the Sky. Uh, just you know, like that was kind of what started like the Prague thing, getting me into you know playing you know, fast, weird guitar. Um, and then 
No, I got into like a lot of like weird metal and everything. Like I was listening to when I was like 16, 17, I was listening to like a lot of Metallica and Van Halen because uh, I nice. just wanted to play guitar fast. Like that was my you know goal. A lot of Pantera too, uh, but mm-hmm. you know I owned a Van Halen sweatshirt at the time, so <laughs> sure, you know, I had a. <laughs> it was it was a weird time, okay. Um, and then a friend of mine showed me "Deloused in the Comatorium" by the Mars Volta, and then I I was like, why why am I listening to you know this this older stuff? Like I need to. I need to start evolving faster or I'm going to get left behind. And that album was already five years old at the time. And I just, um, yeah, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And it was so, so far ahead of what I was listening to that I knew if I didn't, if I didn't keep that path going, that I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be stuck listening to, you know, Metallica this whole time. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, after that, getting into like a lot of you know weirder indie stuff, some of the softer indie stuff had a brief stint with like Bright Eyes and stuff like that. Um, all from the Mars Volta, which is you know a weird branching off point. Um, well, no, I, I mean, I, we're we're around the same age, and and yeah. in fact, we uh, we had a class together without even knowing it until years later uh, at the that Central was... County Occupational Center. That was the class that I met the friend that told me about the Mars Volta. <laughs> so it was perfect. Still a mutual friend time. of ours. <laughs> uh, well, I I got introduced to punk for real. Like uh, you know, I I'd never heard true punk or like a Misfits before. Like I'd never heard them before. Maybe maybe a little bit when I was like in ninth grade or something. But around that time that you're talking about, yeah, that's when I got into like punk and and one more that I forgot to say earlier is a huge still early 2000s sort of thing like 2004 i want to say death room above 1969 i'm like 79 79 uh thank you yeah um same why would i say that i'm so sorry jfk (laughs) i didn't mean it uh um but but 1979 no those guys are fucking nuts the idea that just two people could just get this noise this sound out there along with mars volta you have just a few people just give pushing out the biggest, most epic-sounding shit. Like, Omar is nuts. Yeah, and at that same time, you know, I had one friend telling me about the Mars Volta and then another friend telling me about Roxy Music and television. So sure. I was getting, you know, both angles of that at the same time. And, like, now, like, you know, Roxy Music is one of my favorite bands of all time. And, mm-hmm. you no, know, I got into a lot of post-punk through them. And then... um yeah, from there, you know, Brian Eno was on their second album. I think he did some um, some of their production work on the first album, but he was, you know, in the band playing, um, you know, organ and synthesizer in the background. And, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, getting into Brian Eno after that and, you know, yeah, Eno being my biggest influence by far this um, cause I relate to him a lot cause he always refers to himself. He says he's not a musician that he, <laughs> he puts sounds together, but he is not a musician and he's still, you know, he's one of the most, you know, one of the most influential people in music based on his, um, his production alone, like all the albums that he, he has done production and kind of fill in instruments on. 
but also sure. he's the inventor of ambient music and yes. you know for him to still hold that to to this day that like I'm not a musician you know that's definitely how I feel about this like I feel much more like a sound designer than a performer mm-hmm um, and no, I've only the- just yeah I've only just like in the past couple of years gone into more like I used to wear uh, I mean you've seen me play quite a few times but I used to you know exclusively mm-hmm. perform with a mask because it was just you know, easier to like get into it and I could just be this figure in a mask and not have to do anything. And now, you know, I'm coming around and realizing like, oh, maybe I should, you know, be more animated and like show myself, show myself too to this audience and, you know, make that, make a more face-to-face connection and not just, you know, I didn't really consider it hiding at the time, but it feels a little oh, more like armor. that now. Yeah. Yeah, it's um um I heard a quote, I can't remember who said it, but um you know, if you want if you want to hear someone tell the truth, give them a mask. Mm. So they don't have to be, you know, the idea is that you don't have to be the one that speaks that truth, that you know, it doesn't affect yeah. your ego. And then you know, after a while, you just realize that, like, no, fuck your ego, fuck like any sort of exactly. like, you know, reputation you think you have, and just tell your fucking truth because that's the thing that people want to see anyway. Like, why would you want people who are, you know, um, you know, people who are drawn to this truth that you're telling not to be drawn to you, the person as well? Like, it doesn't do any good if the truth is being told by something that doesn't actually exist or that the truth is being told mm-hmm. by an idea like you say your truth. No, the, the, the fact that we've gotten to a point, luckily uh, the age that we are now, and I'm, I'm guessing that this is just kind of how it works around this age is when you really start understanding yourself as a person, you really thought you understood yourself when you were a teenager and before, but all of those, you know, quote unquote phases, the cliche of like being in a phase when you're a teen, it's, it really is a phase and we go through so many phases until we get to this point where we're comfortable enough with ourselves where it doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking about us and stuff. Luckily, I've gotten to this point. I feel like you're getting to that point or you have gotten to that point rather. Uh, and and it feels pretty good, I'd say. Yeah, I used to think, um, I used to coin the phrase um, or a, a phrase coined by the band Hella on their, um, mm. it's their 2011 album Tripper. Kid Life Crisis. Friends of the podcast. Yeah, Friends of the kid podcast. Life Hella. Yeah, Kid Life Crisis. And that was when I was 25 and I thought like, okay, cool, I'm an adult now. And then, you know, I turned 30 earlier this year and it's like, no, no, that was the most confused I've ever been. Now it's finally starting to come around and, you know, you're actually... Well, to realize when you're... Yeah. To realize when your parents are telling you, like, hey, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, like, you know, every once in a while when when that would be told, uh, or like, hey, don't worry about what other people think of you, you you can't hear that properly for whatever reason. Like, being a kid, like, you, you're just not going to be able to absorb it. Yeah. Um, you're going to learn from that. And then years, you know, there are so many things that I think about that my, my parents tried to instill in me, which obviously they did because I'm thinking back on them now, but... Uh, to not really understand so many things that they tried telling me when I was a kid about how to live life and how to try and be positive and how important that is and how, uh, you know, how much all these these ways of trying, you know, actually do benefit 
both you and the outside world and stuff and to think about how for years i would just have this hanging dread non-stop this this weight on my shoulders of like you know not getting good grades and which was like my fault why it didn't happen and uh you know or, or or little lies that i would tell and i would be getting myself in trouble and I would I would blame it on everybody else, sort of, but realizing that I kind of was the person who made my, all these mistakes myself, and I haven't taken responsibility for it. These days, I don't, you know, to to realize that I don't really feel that weird weight anymore, you know, skipping out on class or like calling out to work or something like that, like I used to do, and you know that we've all made mistakes like this, but to realize the importance of just not trying to conform to what everybody else is doing, the importance of who you are as a person, how you feel, how, how your your truths are real, and and just, you know, I just want to say that, that to, to round everything up with, with what you were saying, I, I completely agree, and I think this is a fantastic time, and I just want everybody out there who might be listening to this, you know, it's it's tough, the journey's tough, but man, it only gets better, it seems. Or easier, at least, to deal with everything that's terrible. And to look at things as not so terrible, you know? To appreciate the positivity and all that jazz. I say this to everyone out there listening. It's, uh... It only gets better when that positivity is spread. I know it's tough. But gosh, is the return fantastic. And with that, I say goodbye for now, and good luck out there to all you jerks. So uh, this is going to be part one of uh, what we're doing here today. Um, It's going to be Inside Inside Jerks. Got part one today, and we'll probably uh, bring you a part two next week. This has been Inside Jerks with Taylor and James.